Hi, my name is Nancy Malik, and I work for Fernwood Publishing. Uh, we're a national Canadian publisher with offices in Halifax and uh, Winnipeg. We focus on the social sciences and humanities. We have quite a lot of depth in, in certain areas like criminology, you know, social work, um, indigenous studies. Um, all our books are in some way, shape or form, they deal with social justice issues. Uh, this is my first book fair and I have to say it's a little overwhelming. A little overwhelming. Describe the scene for us here. It's wall-to-wall -wall people if, and they either have their heads like two inches apart in, in little conversations whether they're selling rights or conspiring with you know prospective authors uh, I don't know or they're looking at their tablet or their phone trying to uh, see what their next appointment is and then you see them look up and try to figure out where is that food because the layout here is a little baffling. The, the venue that's hosting it, well, it has old world charm. Old world charm and no air conditioning. It's pretty <laughs> sweltering in here. Old world charm indeed. So it, it's a little weirdly laid out, but, you know, the book world is, is a very friendly place. Everybody is interested in everybody and what they're selling and what they're publishing. Um, there's a lot of energy here. So my name is Dan Raymond Barker. I work at New Internationalist. We are a publisher of Global Issues. We are a magazine and a book publisher, quite unusual in that sense for a small publisher. And uh, we, our background is really in development. We started out in development, trying to tell stories from across the majority world and bringing those to the rich world. That's what we did, started to do that in the 70s. And uh, we've developed from there, really, so a magazine that then started to publish books, started to try and make sense of those complex issues, globalization, international development, climate change, what does that mean for all of us, and how can we, you know, be, how can we think, you know, in a way that's connecting the rich world to the majority world. That's our background, and... Uh, for the last 20 years, we've published about 15 titles a year uh, that cover those kind of issues, but also try and branch out into areas that make those sorts of issues more accessible. So that could be photography, or could be working on certain issues with particular NGOs. Um, it could be even food books, cookbooks, you know, that bring the world, the, the, the cuisine of the world and the culture of the world into you know, the lives of, you know, anyone uh, who's, who's interested in trying to find a kind of a, a different perspective on uh, the in interconnectedness of our lives. And you folks have been doing this a long time. You've actually, in a lot of ways, been leading the conversation. In, in many ways we have, yes, we have. We, you know, we've tried to push the boundaries for a long time. Um, what we started to do in the 70s and the 80s was almost unique. We found that uh, the message we were bringing across was very attractive to people. They wanted to have that insight. They wanted to get a sense of what life is really like for people all over the world, not what is life is really like from the perspective of the big news organizations who 
you know, fly people in and fly them straight out again. What, what is life really like on the ground? So it's like the precursor to citizen reporting from the, from the, the ground up. We were trying to do that back in the 70s and the 80s. And I suppose in many, in many ways, that's what our new venture is all about. In many ways, your new venture is like your old venture in the sense that you had the magazine and from the magazine flowed the books. And so now you have a new, you're, you're creating, in fact, a new business model for publishing. We are, we are. And this is a new business model for publishing, for, for journalism, and for the media in general. And what we're doing is we have just launched the biggest uh, media community share offer uh, ever. Uh, this is a model that people use normally on a more local and national level, where basically you invest in something you believe in, uh, that you want to see continue. Um, so that could be uh, a local facility that is under threat, or it could be your football team that you want to take back from corporate ownership or whatever. And actually what we're doing with that is we're taking that model all over the world. We have thousands of subscribers to our magazine. We have a lot of very committed supporters and readers, and we would like to give them a bit more say in what we do, and we would like to give them a bigger part in what we do. Uh, and so what we're offering is in shares in the company, which allows people to uh, invest a minimum of £50 uh, to a maximum of £100,000, and this can be done in any currency, so the equivalent of that in any, any major currency, people can, can invest all over the world. And for that, you will be able to get, get to be a supporter of what we do, a custodian of what we do, get to safeguard editorial independence uh, at a time when, that, uh, when, when things are under threat, you know, where a lot of the mainstream media is severely compromised, distorts the real facts. Uh, we don't need to talk about fake news. We know all about that, but this is becoming a real problem. And actually, what we do is a real antidote to fake news. Hi, I'm Lorraine Coates, and I work for UBC Press. And it's a scholarly publisher. We publish 60 to 70 books a year in the social sciences and humanities. And right now, I am standing here at the London Book Fair, and it still feels like a dream that I'm here. Um, it was my lifelong dream to go to Frankfurt, and now I realize London's actually better, so that's great. <laughs> and how did I end up here? Um, which book changed my life? I'd have to say A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Langle. I think that was the first book I read that really changed my whole view of the world. And I realized at that point how powerful books could be. And I grew up in the church, and I remember going and asking questions about this book at church, and they were very unhappy with me. So I also think that was the point at which I almost lost my religion. And it tumbled from there, but it did. It changed everything, and I realized how powerful they could be. So it was the beginning of your own personal reformation. There you go. Thank you, Madeline. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> and how long have you been in publishing? Um, I have been in publishing. I actually got into it right out of my undergrad. I started at University of Alberta Press when I was 22 years old. And then I left for a while to teach English in Japan. Um, but I quickly rebounded back two years later. So I have been in publishing for some time now. Publishing sort of an addictive business, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Once you fall, I'm in love with it. I'm in love. The people are wonderful. And you just, I mean, you know that you're doing something worthwhile in the world. I am publisher. 
from Mexico City. Mexico is like, it's a big country with about 120 million people who live there. And well, we have about 25 million of people who are studying in different levels. We have history from the beginning to the Aztecs and Mayas and Spains when they come to Mexico and to conquest Mexico and they give us a very good language because the Spanish language is a rich language. I came from a family who makes books about 100 years ago. We are the fourth generation and I have a son and a daughter, two daughters, who are in the business too. And they are the five generation, of course. And what's the name of your publishing company? Trias. The name of the, uh, my, my family is come from Barcelona because the original oficio is from Barcelona. Okay. Barcelona is a city that born many publishers. I'm Don Gorman. I'm the publisher at Rocky Mountain Books, based in Victoria, British Columbia. And I'm here at the London Book Fair to meet with a number of publishers from the UK, Poland, Germany, Russia, Slovenia, and France. I, what are you going to do when you meet with them? Well, we sell a lot of rights, international rights for our mountaineering history books, um, because there's actually a great appetite for mountaineering history outside of Canada. Uh, because we actually do publish some Canadian authors who specialize in mountain history from Europe for the most part. Uh, and there's a great market for that outside of North America. So you do mountaineering books, Rocky Mountain books, obviously. What other types of books are you publishing? Uh, we do a lot of environmental books. Uh, we're really getting into higher-end photography books as well. Uh, we generally publish 30 to 40 titles a year, not including reprints or new format reprints. And that basically runs four mountaineering titles, four guidebooks, a couple of kids' books, and now we're doing four to eight higher-end photography books every year as well. Wow, that's a lot of books. How many people on your team? There are four of us. How do you manage that? No, actually, it, it works really well. Um, three of us have been there since I took over 12 years ago, which is fantastic, so we have a really strong core team. Uh, and then Rick Wood is with us now. He's, he's my assistant. He's been there for three years. And then we work with a couple of very you know, focused freelancers as well in terms of editorial and design. So they know what we do, they know our aesthetic, uh, they know our style. And how do you get your books out into the world? I mean, you're here, you're obviously selling rights. What other, what other methods do you have uh, to make that happen? So in Canada, we are distributed by Heritage Group Distribution, which is based in British Columbia. Uh, in the U.S. And, and throughout the world, we're actually with PGW, uh, which is based in Berkeley, California, and they're now part of Ingram. So they're one of the largest uh, book distributors and sales and marketing companies on the planet. Uh, so it helps us a great deal. I mean, you know, being a mid-sized Canadian publisher, to actually reach that market is pretty tough. Uh, so we've noticed a, a nice increase in terms of our title production and, and sales throughout North America and, and Europe as well. And you actually got into this business uh, through the sales repping end of things, if I remember correctly. I did, actually. I started as a bookseller. I worked as a bookseller when I went to university in Victoria. And then I had a bookstore in Calgary, and I worked for the Literary Press Group as a sales rep. And that's probably the best training I think any publisher could ever have, you know, because you actually have to look beyond the words. You have to think about what the book's going to feel like, what the price is, uh, the format. You know, what does the consumer want? What does the market want? What does a bookseller want? And uh, it actually makes publishing a heck of a lot easier. Tell me about the, the role of the, of the, of the sales rep. Um, it's something that most people I don't think know anything about. 
You know, the sales rep, they're still very important, but I think their role has fundamentally changed. They're now more of a diplomat um, because you actually can't go into a retailer anymore and strong arm them into ordering a book. You know, it used to be you could go in, present your titles, and they would say, okay, I'll take 10, I'll take 20, I'll take 30, we want to do an event. They're actually now out waving the flag uh, for the publisher, and, and sometimes the author and sometimes the distributor. So uh, they're very political in terms of, of how they interact with retailers, and they're still very, very vital. The larger retailers are almost entirely dependent on data. So most of my job in terms of, because I also sell nationally and internationally for a group of publishers. So, so that's Indigo and Amazon and Costco and those big retailers. And most of that is data driven. So they generally don't seem to care who the publisher is or who the distributor is. They want to know the hardcore metadata stuff. How's it going to fit within their store? What are comp titles? You know, when's it coming out? How big is it? How much does it weigh? So it's a totally different gig in that regard, but traditional reps are still out waving the flag and pressing the flesh and, and hugging everybody, which is great. Just where we started in the business. But I want you to dig a little deeper into that, into that metadata thing and sort of unpack it for people. What does that include and why is it of real value? Metadata basically includes absolutely everything. Um, and every book now has to start with metadata. So those are your keywords, those are your specs, that's about the book, it's about the author, where the author's from, who you are as a publisher, what's the price going to be, what are comparative titles. Uh, it's a, basically a massive spreadsheet and it is the roadmap for where this book is going to go and who's going to be interested in it. It's tough to read, it's not sexy and it's not exciting, but it's absolutely vital um, to the ways in which you're going to market, promote and distribute the book. And uh, you got into this business, obviously, because you have a love of the word. Where did that begin? You know what? I actually have a love of books. Um, I don't necessarily have a love of the word. There's, there's something about, and it sounds so cliche now. I mean, we've gone through eight years of people whining about e-books and talking about the beauty of paper and all that sort of garbage. But it's actually true. Um, I like the physical object. I like what you can actually do with the words. The words are very, very important, but the way in which you present them is just as important now. There, there are a lot of publishers who are publishing or producing terrible-looking books, and I think it's our role as publishers to actually produce beautiful, great, interesting objects. And now is a fantastic time to be doing that because there really aren't any rules anymore in terms of how you produce a book. You can do a little book. You can do a huge book. You know, they don't all have to be five and a half, eight and a half in 1995. You know, that, that's really boring and done. So, so now's a great time to take words and really play with them physically and turn them into something very unique. And did you have a book when you were a kid that really inspired you, uh, that really made you a reader? You know, the, the first one that pops into my head would be Curious George, and I don't know why. I mean, it's such a great book, but when I read that to my kids now, well, when I did read it to my kids, it's a really problematic title. You know, it's... There are a lot of bad things in that book, um, but it's still fantastic. I mean, aesthetically, it was, it was a book that stood out on the shelf. It was different than a lot of the other kids' books at the time. So, so yeah, that one really did influence me. I love Curious George, too. Yeah. Not politically correct anymore, uh, but that's how culture changes. Yes, it does. Yeah. And it's actually fun to reread it as an adult, sort of post-postmodern, and, and read it to a child and say, you know, it's not great when you go to another country and put something in a bag and bring it back to your country and dress it up. That, that's not cool. So, I think we call that stealing. I think we do. Or yeah. colonialism. I think it's colonialism. Yeah. yeah.